The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. Welcome to another session of the Kick Pod. I am your host slash sensei, TJ Williams. I'm here to give you the insider of my martial arts experience, as well as highlighting certain martial arts-based subjects, movies, TV shows, and also highlighting certain martial arts from around the world. Uh, today, I got a guest with me. Um, his name is um, Crosby um, Bridwater III, coming from Augusta, Georgia. Of course, he got his um, karate studio called uh, Universal Martial Arts Dojo. Is that correct? Yes, sir. You may. Universal Martial Arts Dojo. Oh, awesome. All right. Before we get on to our ex- episode, um, how was things down in Georgia? Oh, well, things are uh, always trying to uh, look on the up and up. we got an election going on right now, of course, like everyone else. So people are concerned about election and COVID. But for the most part, in our city... Uh, we've been relatively okay. Nothing too crazy going on. People are happy and smiling. The weather's beautiful right now, so everyone's enjoying that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because things are starting to so slowly recover in New York State as well, so, yeah. Oh, they good. Yeah. But, uh, I know it's been quite a lot more. You have a lot uh, more demographics, a lot more people on there, so a lot more challenges. So, I'm glad to know things are good for you guys as well. Looking, looking better anyway. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the beginning. Um, like before everything for you started. Uh, who was um Crosby Bridwaters before he became a black belt or before he got into martial arts? Gotcha. Uh, and sorry, it's Broadwater. Broadwater. Broad, broadwater. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, but before the martial arts, like when I was like younger or just in general. Like, yeah, pretty much younger, like, before you got to martial arts. So, when I was young, um, I, I was with my mom and my dad, of course. My parents got divorced when I was younger, so I was raised by my mom and then um, by my godfather and uh, grandparents, people like that. Um, I was always a kind of shy person. I'm, I'm an introvert by, by nature, so I don't really like to be in public and around people too much. I like talking to people, but it's just not, you know long time i was in band so i traveled around and did uh marching i played the trumpet um i tried very other sports as well like soccer and baseball and things like that but it just never really stuck to me um so finally i tried martial arts out when i was about 12 years old and uh haven't looked back since Uh, but um i think or anything, martial arts has helped me grow out of my shell and my comfort zone. So it could really be my true uh, ideal self. Yeah. yeah, it's a good thing I'm interviewing because it seems like me and you have like that same um, attributes a little bit. Yeah, you know, I was that shy person. Yeah. And I think a lot of us in martial arts, we just kind of are that way. We're kind of we're artsy people and we like to be in our own environment sometimes and let it grow ourselves, but it's it's something that can help us definitely be a better person. Yeah, awesome. Okay, l- let's get to, like, your first time you took your first lesson. Like, what was your mindset? Okay, so, ooh, we got to go back a little bit. So, 
my first class um, was back in 2002. In 2002, uh, walked into the studio. Uh, the theme was red, white, and blue, so like all American. <laughs> so I was uh, ecstatic to see the people around. I saw some of the high ranks coming out. Saw some black folks getting out of their class, and it was just uh, inspiring to see so many black belts. You know, like when you watch the movies, you see like, you know, one or two people who are the black belt. But then you get to the studio, you see like the main instructor and then like another two or three other instructors than all their other black belts. So it really kind of gave me a uh, a vision to see what I could become in the future. Okay. Uh, my first class, I can't remember what we really did, but if I have to say, it was probably like, you know, uh, tension, bow, ready stance, uh, jab, reverse punch, front kick, things like that. Uh, but in those moments, I could try to see who, who, what I was really trying to become and do. I never did martial arts, I was always interested in it, but it really helped me get out some of those worries I had before, like in the past, and really come out of my show like I keep saying come out of my show and be who I really want to be yeah, that's pretty much the same way with how I started. You know, I was trying to get in there, like mostly trying to recover from a cold. But you know, it was oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was wonderful when I was really started. It's like it was I was excited. I really wanted to get into martial arts. I mean, watching right. watching martial arts movies. It was like me and my sister in front of the TV watching martial arts movies. That's how I get to watch movies like exactly. Enter the Dragon or Last Dragon. That right. Yeah, that was like that's, awesome. That's and say, man, I want to be like that guy. Yeah. And it was me. I I was really into you know like Ninja Turtles and like Power Rangers like that, and that also helped me get a uh, a want to do martial arts as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so I totally get that understanding. Ah, okay, so that's awesome. Uh, okay, now let's get to when you went for your first degree black belt. I mean, I mean, what what was your mindset then or now? When you go on your flag boat, then okay. it was going then, like. So, um, when I was first training, we had two different ways to dress for black belt. One was under our studio, um, our studio, and then one was for, of course, the Chuck Norris system. Uh, so for my first testing ever on black belt, uh, I was pumped. Like I was trying to, you know, get my run down, get my push-ups good, get my fitness the right way. Uh, but I have a condition with my arms to where I can't lock them out. So like oh. my arms stop right there. Oh. It can't keep going back. My arms are right there. <laughs> so uh, when I was training, I knew like I couldn't do a lot of push-ups in my chest because my arm would lock out. So I ignored that. <laughs> and <laughs> I did my black belt test after going to the gym, and my arms were like this the entire time. Oh. But like I couldn't straighten it out and actually punch because it was so tight in my tendons. Yeah. So for my first degree, I learned you have to be able to calm down and control yourself. That way you can pace and get through your actual testings. Yeah. I've always had a habit yeah. to go fast, 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 fast and just get it done. But it's helping me be able to calm down and be able to pace myself the right way to get through it. And that was my first degree ever black belt test. Uh, it was about 10 hours long, two days, 10 hours long. Yeah. Ooh, two <laughs> days. We, we didn't play. Always, always two days. Yeah, Friday is usually about uh, about four to five hours. Then the next day is usually about between six, four to six hours as well. So two-day test. Um, I was drenched in sweat. <laughs> uh, 
I was thoroughly pleased to put on Black Belt. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a lot of hard work, but it, it was very much worth it. Honestly, and I, I, forgot, I forgot to tell you this, uh, when I was first training, I was fine with like, my punches, my kicks, my balls, my rolls, everything was fine. But I hate running. I hate running. Yeah. So my teacher actually made me wait six months because I could not make my run time. So oh. I had to make a mile between six to seven minutes. I made it in like nine minutes. Oh. So to be able to take my black belt test, I had to wait six months to get my run time down to test my black belt. Man, that's something new I heard. So I, I mean, you ever heard before? Yeah. Well, this yeah, is different. Before, it's different when I first yeah, tested. We, we yeah, that's our pre-test. So pre-test is run, push-ups, sit-ups. All this up before you can even take your black belt test. Ooh. So I had to do a mile run under seven minutes. I had to do 60 to 80 uh, push ups and 80 to 100 sit ups in two minutes. Oh my. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's so different. I, I Go ahead. Oh, that's that uh, different than when I did my pre test. It's like we did had to do all the techniques that we had to do for our first brief test, of course. And then, of course, we had to do it again right. in the first degree. And it's just think about when Why? I t- when I took my first three tests, that was like after I um did a football game, a homecoming fo- football game. I, I was worried about not hurting yeah. myself and just like make sure I take the test the next day, which is good. And that was wonderful. Exactly. Cause it's always good to do the football game. Of course, you know, you've been working for three, four, five years maybe to get this belt. And the last thing you want to do is get hurt on the field and you can't take your test. Yeah. I totally understand that most definitely. Awesome. Yeah, we have a lot of similar things with our past as well. All right, so, all right, let's get to the next question. Um, now you got your black belt. Now, what influenced you to be an instructor? So, this is always funny when I talk about this with me. So, I started teaching. I started training basically like 2002. I want to say I was like, uh, I think I want to say it was like June or July. It was summer break. Literally, about six months after starting my training, I started teaching. Um, I've always been a teacher. Uh, our studio was was fairly a decent size, um, but I guess they could kind of see that I had an inner voice in me, even though I was a shy person. Uh, so I started with the three through uh, three and four year olds and learned how to deal with them, and then the five and six year olds. And really, truly, if you can deal with the three through six year old. You can teach anybody, yeah. <laughs> anybody. Um, and I, I started within seventh through nine. I worked with the adults. Um, by the time I was a purple, no, green belt. It was like middle for us. It was middle for us. Right at green belt, I was running the three through six year old program by myself. Okay. I didn't need anyone. This is after like a year and a half of training. I didn't need anyone to tell me, you know, here's how you do a warm up, here's how you do a punch or a kick. I understood that. But then as I grew through my training, then it was like, okay, now you can teach the adults. Now you can work with the weapons. Now you can do the the jujitsu type stuff. Um, it amplified to where I was when I first started. It was twice a week, you know, taking classes. But by the time before my black belt test. I was there five, six days a week, every week. Ooh. Uh, between yeah. training, teaching, uh, administrative stuff, everything. And it keeps you occupied, so though. I was kind of, oh, yeah, I, I was thrown to the fire quite quick. Mm. Unfortunately, we had some people who had to leave because of uh, 
five unfortunate incidents in our school. Mm-hmm. So when I was basically about a brown belt, get close to red belt, I was one of their head instructors. Because mm. um, they needed me at the time to do that. And then at that time, we had like two schools where they decided to split and have two bigger schools. Mm-hmm. So I was in charge of one set and the other was part of the other set. Okay. So it was, uh, it was a lot of responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. All right, so basically, but, uh, it was it was beautiful. Go ahead. Yeah, so basically, they're teaching. I mean, with five or six year olds, I mean, for one thing, their main goal is, or should I say, their main mindset is like they want to play. I mean, but one thing, you want to keep them active, but you want to show them that um, you want to be that disciplined student, though. Exactly. Yeah. And with little ones, you got to be very careful because you you got to have a happy medium. You can't be so hard to where you're just traditional and they're not gonna have fun but you can't be where you're just the play guy and you're just making them feel good they're not gonna learn anything for me i like to be right in the middle so they have a great time but they're also learning great skill at the same time so Mm -hmm. is it fun and engaging and i've been uh since i've been teaching i've been able to go to daycares and private schools uh the military um all of us to teach because i've been comfortable teaching all age groups hey oh awesome all right mm-hmm. now kind of get away from your um your teaching and um going to training the martial arts how about um competition because i know you've recently been doing um like um tournaments yeah yeah yes sir yeah, I'm, I'm pretty heavily in tournaments now. Um, when I first began, uh, I started competing when I think I was a gold belt, maybe an orange belt, so like the first level or two. Um, I, I didn't place that high. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say I got maybe like middle out of like eight, maybe out of ten, something like that. Um, I was always a decent fighter. Uh, my forms are always traditional form, always pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, weapons, I've always had a a love-hate relationship with weapons. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, since I've, well, before I had my studio, I was also traveling to Vegas, of course, for competitions. Yeah. Uh, won a couple of titles through fighting and then Kata as well. I want to say one of my most memorable moments, I was in advanced red belt. I went to Vegas, I think it was 2008, maybe 09. Mm. Um, yeah, I missed those two years. Say again? Yeah, I missed those two years. Yeah. It was two years, right? I don't think you were there those years. Yeah, I wasn't there. Um, I had to compete uh, with Kata-wise versus 20 other red belts. It was the largest division I've ever seen. So 20 red advanced red doing Kata. Mm. And I want to say, like, I was towards the middle of the end, which is good. Um, I did Basai. And I remember bowing in and bowing out. Walked out with first place out of 20. So after that big win like that, it really got me to think, you know, how can I keep doing this? How can I keep growing? And now since we've been open to school the past three years almost, um, I've won a couple more world titles. My sister's won some world titles. I got some of my students who are now trying to win the same thing. So... Me winning helps give the kids and my students more um, motivation for them to get these awards as well. Mm. Uh, but competing, typically now without COVID going on, we do anywhere from eight to almost 15 tournaments a year. Okay. Uh. 
we do a lot of tournaments. Ah. And that does include Las Vegas as well. Yeah. I mean, I kind of gave up on doing tournaments. I mean, I've done like three tournaments uh, besides the um, convention. The Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've done like uh, Smack Internationals, which is um, in my hometown. And, of course, I've done okay. like um, Kumite Classes in Pittsburgh. I mean, I've done that twice. I, mean, I got a trophy there. That's good enough. Yeah, so that's those are wonderful tournaments, yeah. Yeah, and really what tournaments are for, it's it's to show you how your skills are kind of going against the, the common more martial artists as well. Because there's always people who are really bad, people who are really good. Yeah. So it helps you see kind of where you're stacking up at and things you can do to help clean up your your core technique, but also your competitiveness in general as well. Yeah. All right, so. Yeah, competing is so fun. Yeah, I know, but yeah, you get to meet a lot of good people too, right? Oh yeah, I have met. I honestly, and I tell people around the city, like you're not from here, because you're one of my friends as well. I have friends around the around the country and around the world, mm, yeah. and like in my city, I don't really talk to that many people because I don't identify with people here in my city. Because when you're a martial artist, you almost live by a different code, which we we all kind of do, and you want to aspire to be your very best. Yeah. So when I went and traveled, I met people from Vegas, people from Arizona, from Texas, from uh, New York, from all over the place, and they helped motivate me to be my personal best, which is why I truly love tournaments, because you're not just going to compete, you're going to get more motivation. Yeah, it's like um, this one competitor, now I faced him twice in sparring, and really, you know, we and now we're friends, and he don't live too far from me, he roughly lives two hours in like Erie, Pennsylvania. So, of course, if me and them like right. to um, hook up and kind of train, then you know I kind of like get a contact with them and just like really if I could, and they actually has like a a studio slash like fitness center. They other oh, than good. doing like martial arts, he does like fitness, and that's what got me into like right. doing fitness too. Yeah. And that's what well, you know you find people who have similar interests like you, and they can help expand your horizons. Yeah. So I know you're really busy with all your um, working out and being physically fit, right? Yeah, I've been on a mission since this pandemic. Been running, and I got my last right. two runs in before the weather started dropping. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. You know, you could have people who are in different town, different state, whatever, but they could help motivate you to get to where your level's trying to be. Yeah. I have no one here in my city, but when I see, like you, you're a fourth degree. When I see my friends in Arizona who are these fourth and fifth degree black belts, and I was only a second, I'm like, man, i got to get up there. i got to do my stuff. And it really helps push to your next level. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to that um, fifth degree. I mean, I've been kind of at least keeping track of things other than just, like, taking class, like, really trying to teach better. Yeah. Right. And that's what it's all about. It's all about growing. Yeah. And uh, even master, you know, that's that's one of my goals as well, but not my main goal anymore. Because, like, you know, I aspire to be a master, but really, I want grand mastery now. I oh, master, you're going I further. Want grand mastery. <laughs> yeah, I want, I, want, I want that. I want it. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get to your journey from to your first ever um, studio, owning your first studio. So, really. I know there's been a lot of obstacles going through that, but you know, but that was your ultimate goal. That's your dream, pretty much. Yeah, um, my dream was to have my studio, and honestly, I didn't tell many most people. I really did not want to have a studio. Okay. I didn't want this because when I left my original instructor, uh, they were very well known. Uh, 
competitors. Um, I mean, making tons of money in the martial arts on magazines and stuff. But at the end of it, because of how things were decided on how to run the business and how to treat clients, unfortunately, they closed down. Oh. So literally, I saw them being in the magazine two years. The next year, shut down and filing for bankruptcy. Oh. Yeah. And that was always my fear. I never wanted to open up a school and to be successful at one point to have to file bankruptcy later on down the future. So I just held off for a long time. Yep. So like I said, I taught in daycares and private schools. So for almost eight years, six to eight years, six, six years primarily, six years, no more, more eight years, six to eight years, I taught in daycares and private schools. So mm-hmm. I would literally travel around to eight schools to up to 10 schools a week okay. and teach them. Okay. And that was Monday to Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when I was like 21, 22, I had money. I didn't have to work on the weekends. I was I was cool. Ooh. I was perfectly content. But unfortunately, as time went on with um, recessions and people who lost their jobs and everything, it didn't get as easy. So I had to step out and then start going to the to the private schools, and that worked great as well. Uh, they they work with you. They pay really well. But it was never my own place. I had to love my material and always love it. Then eventually, I went to what's called Fort Gordon. It's a military base here in our city. It's an army base. And I got hired to teach martial arts. So they were planning to have me on the school. I ordered equipment, all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, the program wasn't set up. So they hired me to teach, but it was already basically planned to shut it down. Oh, okay. So I had to fight tooth and nail to try to teach anything. And by the time I was all said and done with TJ, they made me drive buses, I was opening up rooms for students, I was cooking, I was um, doing soccer, doing everything but martial arts. Oh. So, I got tired of it. Then I was working at a restaurant. So, I was working at a restaurant, serving food, and I was bouncing at a bar. So, mm-hmm. I was literally working through the week at, at the Fort Gordon base and doing serving. Then on the weekends, I would go and work at the bar and be a bouncer. So Monday through Saturday and some Sundays, I worked 70, 85 hours a week. Whew. And I did that for quite a long time. My mother, she finally saw me going to um, one of the private schools and me just, you know, carrying my luggage and carrying my, my bags and everything. She's like, Crosby, you're almost 30. Uh, it's time to trust God, put it down on paper, and get your school. Mm-hmm. I said, yes, ma'am. I thought about it, what she said. I said, yeah, I'm getting older. I planned heavily for about a year, saved up some money, uh, got some little loans, got one from my grandmother, which I'm still paying her back one, by the way, yes. <laughs> and uh, owned the studio. Um, it's It was hard. We Literally, the entire studio was built by myself, my mother helping out some of my sister, and then my uh, a good friend, my mom. And it used to be a hair salon, so we had to gut everything. Ooh. We had to gut the floor, take down walls, patch up walls, and then make it a martial arts studio. Mm. It took about a good two and a half months. It's beautiful. Um, 
I want to move, but I don't want to move because it's so nice. Yeah. Um, but literally getting here, it was from 2010 when we shut down right. until 2018. Okay. Planning and school. I graduated with a business administration degree, uh, traveling for teaching, and just trying to get everything in my mind on how to open the school. Mm-hmm. So it literally took quite a long time to get it ready. Uh, I didn't test for almost nine years mm, okay. for my third degree. Yeah. I waited quite a long time, yeah. um, but it was all very much worth it. Yeah. Very much worth it. Okay. So I'll talk about during this pandemic. I know the pandemic kind of shut you down a little bit. It pretty much shut every business that around the world or even around the United States pretty much down. Cause I know shut down and you had to go for zoom classes i mean mm-hmm. compared that to, sure to like before the pandemic to now like your students like were you able to keep your students or they were yeah, yeah. So, i think it's kind of like everyone's kind of experience um unfortunately in life you're gonna have people who are there for you always and people who are there for you temporarily so before the pandemic uh i was pushing 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 trying to get about 60 65 students in here and we were right at about 58 almost 60 Mm. i had planned for a tournament in march and it was february no and the the end of march the end of march and it was like almost middle march um middle march happened uh we started hearing about the pandemic going on um, people were starting to talk to us and tell us they're concerned because of you know schools shutting down like like automatically uh, and people started to drop off. I decided to go ahead and shut our studio down. The city did not shut us down. I decided to shut us down, and we went for about four days of just nothing really. You know, I talked to the students, kept them encouraged, and what I was planning on doing. I got my tripod. I got my camera material. I got a microphone. Monday the following week, we're on Zoom, just like that, ready to go. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people who were ready to renew their contract say they did like a six month commitment, nine month commitment. Towards the pandemic was the end of their commitment. Okay. So literally, in March, we dropped at least 10, almost 13 students. Oh. And that's, it's, it's, it's not a lot, but it is a lot. Um, because bills are very, very up there. Yep. Uh, and even for, just so people know, like for my personal self, I don't really get paid at the school a whole lot, like nothing almost. The money just goes to run the facility. <laughs> so when that happened, we lost those students. Um, you know, I had to shake off how I was kind of feeling. Um, we got we got people who were here. They were motivated to continue. Still working right. Um, we were fortunate enough to get some uh, grants and loans. Uh, we had a church, a local church, who gave us a loan. Uh, not a loan, but a grant. Uh, $1,200 mm. and a grant okay. for us to help continuing to go. Um, also, they know me for a while, so they were very helpful, and they gave it to other people as well in the city. Um, I've had a couple of parents. We were, we were planning on having a sponsorship for tournaments, you know, mm-hmm. to help us go to tournaments and travel. Um, but that sponsorship turned into 
helped keep the school alive. But with those sponsors, they were able to get, you know, uniforms or T-shirts, you know, extra incentives. Mm. But I had, I want to say, four families who gave, you know, $100 donation, $200 donation. I had one family that gave a very significant donation. And I told them, I said, parents, what this is for is not, you know, for tournament right now, it's for lights. Yeah. It's for rent. It's to help us keep pushing through this pandemic. Unfortunately, now with it being election time, and well, and before that, we we we've we've done community things, we've done cookouts and all kinds of which have been very good mm-hmm. for morale. But with it being election time now, going forward for the holiday time, we're seeing another deduction of people. So I have people going going forward for Black Belt Club or for you know higher commitments. And they're choosing to take a break. Okay. And we know how they usually go. If they take a break, they're usually not going to come back. That is usually how it is. Um, so right now, we are about 38 students. Mm. So from where we were before pandemic to now, we're almost half. Okay. Which is, again, that's kind of significant. However... The people who are here for us now, like today, I just got done with my Black Belt Club class. People who are trying to get the Black Belt Club, but get the Black Belt. It wasn't everyone, but I had 12 students in here today mm-hmm. who were trying to get their Black Belt. 12. Okay. Uh, and that's that's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the level of skill we have here now is pretty awesome. I have kids who have come from neighboring martial arts schools and left their school because they're not getting what they need and came to us to get a better understanding of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so moving forward into the next year, I got a feeling when spring happens, we'll be a lot better. People will be a lot more easy about coming and we'll be able to get those numbers back up. With me, typically, I don't have to convince anyone to sign up. They see the benefit of the program. They see what they can become and they're like, yep, let's do it. Their kids enjoy it. They enjoy it. But now I have to convince them and make them feel good to want to continue to grow. Yeah. Um, I, I believe once this is done, we'll be bigger and better. We were planning on growing and getting a bigger location. But I think right now we're going to stay here for another year, maybe two years, get our get our ourselves built up more, and then when it's time, we'll get a bigger and better facility. Yeah, awesome. Because I know it was like pretty much tough for the pandemic because, of course, Prestige was closed for a while. Then we start doing Zoom classes. Of course, I had to keep myself occupied ever being laid off for two months. I mean, right? Yeah, and then you don't have any funds. It's hard to survive. It's hard to do anything. Yeah, I mean, of course, I still got my fitness. You know, I'm all my fitness instructor, so of course that keeps me busy. I mean, now I'm Absolutely. now I'm start doing like trying to do like live um, Instagram and Facebook um, workouts, like kind of get people to notice that um. Of course, if things don't work out for me for fitness, you know, at least I got that. So get people's attention. Right. Yeah. And the main thing is keeping people's attention, keep them motivated. Because right now, a lot of people, they are having a tough time trying to stay inspired. Yeah. There's other people like us that help keep them inspired as well. And, you know, we're people. Mm-hmm. We have our good days. We have our bad days. We have days that we don't want to do stuff. We don't feel like being around anybody. Right. But when like, we are in a public role, we want to inspire others to continue to push forward, even though it is hard. So I commend you as well for all you're doing, Mr. TJ. Yeah. Oh, okay, so aside of martial arts, 
do you have any like side talents you know for me other than martial arts fitness i'm in the professional wrestling i mean i mean right. of course like last week i had like like two matches of course i went to rochester wrestled and then went to pennsylvania to wrestle and you know of course mm-hmm. since this pandemic i've been getting ready to try to get back to the ring because you know we're doing a like a hard reset like everything is like right going like yeah on pause and we're resetting like we're they're looking for new people so that's an opportunity for me to at least find openings in different states exactly it's opportunity for for you to possibly move up into be a more of a leadership role or get into a higher role to maybe help showcase you more i think this pandemic has given given people more opportunity to shine yeah to really shine and show what you can do to help build other people up. But um, talent-wise, uh, before pandemic, like I told you I was a bouncer. But before that, I was actually a DJ. DJ? So oh, that's I good. I a DJ as well, yes. Yeah. So I never know Mr. Damon Salcida, who's also a DJ. Yep. I DJ as well. Um, but I don't really do a lot of parties. I did when I was younger. I did a lot of parties, mm. but I do a lot of weddings. Okay. So I think I've DJed probably about seven weddings, mm. something like that. Friends and family, uh, reunions, all kind of cool stuff. So there's that. Um, I enjoy traveling a lot. That's always fun. Mm. Uh, I, I like my truck, so I, I'm, I always am improving it. I like to lift it up, uh, you know, mod, um modernize it things like that um but really i don't really do too much i like movies so i go to movies a lot um i spend a lot of time with my family as well my sister is now 11 years old so i'm always around her uh we're hanging out we're going out doing events um i'm honestly i'm kind of like a family guy without my own personal family so you know i I love cooking. <laughs> I love going out different places. I love going to trips. I like being with my family and doing this with them. I'm a big homebody a lot of times. Yeah, you know. If, if, it, if it was with the martial arts, I would be home quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd definitely like to see my Definitely, I'm miss, kind of missing my nieces right now because they're in Canada. Mostly my brother um, is mostly um, going community right. back and forth. He kind of moved to Canada and then, you know, I got my nieces that to worry about. And I got my one older niece that used to take karate. I mean, I was hoping that she would continue. She was doing so well, right. too. But, you know, she's well, just... kind of hard. Yeah. But, you know, I got my other niece, though. She's, she like to get mm-hmm. into martial arts, so hopefully once this calms down, I like to at least work with her a little bit. So, yeah. That'd be good. It's something, you know, maybe one-on-one, a private lesson, Zoom, something. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very hard, especially with you guys in New York, because you have a lot more... Um, red tape than what we do here in Georgia. Mm. Um, so you just got to be careful so you can. And what I tell you, um, different people take it different ways. We have some studios here. They're still packing in 30 people in one class, no mask, no distance, rolling on top of each other. It just doesn't matter. So it after the pandemic, I hope we can all get back to where we were again. Yeah. All right. So we're almost to the end of our show. So is there anything you'd like to add to – your um journey um so i would say this so since i've been trying to become sensei crosby and have my own studio i've had a lot of good people talk to me uh people who are in the martial arts 
outside the martial arts, doing it their whole life, uh, people who are newer, people who are more mainstream, people more underground. And I've realized that there's three ways kind of to be successful in martial arts. One way is to be the salesman. So you sell, 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 sell. Your main concern is selling products to your student and getting money. That's the main thing. Yep. You can be successful that way. That's one way. The other way is by working your regular job and by having your martial arts job. That is exhausting. Yeah. Because you could spend, like I said, what I was doing, 80 hours a week, easily, doing martial arts and teaching. The problem with that is, though, you're going to, you can't get it all. You can't focus on just the martial arts or just on jobs, so there's going to be a loss some kind of way. Yeah. I try to be right in the middle. So I have to do the, the selling part and the personalized part. So I tell my students, you know, we're here to work with you. I'm not trying to nickel and dime you to death. Basically, for our classes, we need you to come and train, bring your water, have your uniforms, do your testings, and move forward there. Okay. We're not going to make you buy a new T-shirt every month. We're not going to say you got to buy this weapon every other, every every quarter, or whatever. We're very low with pushiness, with salesmanness, with being, being a salesman. And I've talked to other martial arts studios. One, in fact, uh, last week is a guy, I won't say his name, but he uh, is trying to get me to be involved with him. And uh, I I've been through his system with, with promotional stuff. And uh, he's wanted to help me out with my system. He called me and told me, well, you know, Crosby, uh, you know, how's this going? How's that going? Uh, I advise you to have everyone pay the same rate. So no matter if they're a three-year-old versus a 22-year-old, they pay the same amount of money per month. Okay. I don't, I don't really agree on that. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know if school do different things, but a three-year-old comes once per week. Yeah. A 17-year-old can come five times a week. So I don't see how it's appropriate to have a three-year-old and a 17-year-old pay the same price. Yeah, when they're going like different days. Right. Yeah. Only one versus yeah. five. Yeah. The person who told me this is a lifelong martial artist. What I mean by that is his dad started the martial arts company. His dad started it. He's an older man now, though, so he's like 60, right? Yep. But he knows about sale. Okay. I'm learning that people who have always done this and kind of had it. Not everyone. Don't do people who people don't get upset at me. Not everyone who kind of had it handed to them. They can't understand people who start brand new. Cause when you start brand new, you don't have the money. You don't have a reputation. You don't have the the students. You don't have the instructor. You have nothing but yourself. Yeah. So you have to learn how to sell yourself with integrity and not make it seem like you're only trying to get people's pockets the entire time. Right. So when I talk to my students and my parents, I talk about martial arts, not just, hey, parents, we got this special going on, pay this money. Or, hey, we got this going on for your weapon, pay this money. Mm -hmm. No, parents, 
look for this in your child with their stances. We need to be center line. We need to have good, uh, you know, good hip action. We need to have focus, things like that. So when I finally talk about money, it's no problem. Right. Because I don't only talk about pricing. I talk about how we're growing, what can we do better, and what we need to get to that point. Yeah. So my message to anybody who is wanting to start their own martial arts program or martial arts school, whatever else it may be, one, get your training done. Yep. Get your training done. There is no fast track to this stuff. There are people in the city who, who who had people come and teach martial arts, and they literally have no martial arts experience. They may be a gym teacher, they may be a school teacher, or whatever, but they don't know about martial arts. And to be able to teach this stuff the right way, make someone feel comfortable, be successful, deal with their uh, emotional stuff, uh, it's a lot of work. Yep. And you can't get it in a crash course. You just can't. You can get some things, but not everything. Yep. To anybody who's trying to, to build a martial arts school, to run a martial arts company, to be a club leader or whatever, get your training done. Find good mentors. If you want to talk to people like Mr. TJ or like me, come talk to us. I'm sure we have to give you some advice. Um, and don't listen to the same people. If if this person is the same thing, the same thing, same thing, you really get perspective. Listen to different perspectives about how to grow and make your business the best way. That way you can not only help yourself, but also your students and your community grow and thrive. So that way you're not only the martial arts teacher in the city, you that's what you really want to be, the community leader, not just the martial arts teacher. Um, And I think that's the main thing I want to say, um, because people are always wanting to learn martial arts and teach it, but there is a big difference. But that's basically it for me with that. Uh, Okay, so first of all, I'd like to thank you for joining me today for this um, podcast, Uh, of course. uh, I know you have a a busy, busy schedule, so really, I'd the thing about my podcast is like other than talk about yeah what we're doing is like really try to make sure people are like understand what true martial arts is. All right, so that's the purpose oh, I, of my I appreciate it. All right, so this is awesome, TJ. I um, love the interview. I love what you're doing as well, and to share the knowledge with everyone, martial arts is something we all should do. I tell most people I think that martial arts now what I try to do is more like boy or girl scouts, but with martial arts emphasis. So how to grow goal setting, focus, all that stuff. And it takes minds like yours and like mine and everyone else to tell people come to be their personal best. So I thank you again for inviting me on the show, sir. Okay. Truly. All right, so I'm going to do my little closing. Uh, okay, everyone. Thank you for joining me to this session of the KickPod. Uh, this is your sensei bowing you out, and I'll see you next session.
It's me, Andrew Lenz from the future, telling you that your dream is going to come true. What? No way! Yeah, you're going to have an awesome podcast called Let's Talk But No Politics, okay? And new episodes come out every Sunday on... Beyonce!